Efficiency and productivity are hallmarks of U.S. agriculture. Back in 1960, the average American grower produced enough food to feed 15 people for the year. Today, that figure has skyrocketed to nearly 170 people. These gains are a direct result of diligent research, finding new ways to get the most out of every planted acre. The research community, including Dr. Gifford Gillette here at Redox, is passionate about making even more progress in the years ahead. Based on the the opportunity I've had to go out and meet with growers and agronomists and get their feedback, I couldn't be more excited for the agricultural community in general with the work that we're doing because it really seems to be needed based on the feedback we're getting. And I'm grateful that we have a situation at Redox that values science and puts the resources necessary to do it in a quality fashion. Coming up, we'll take a closer look at this vital work that benefits farmers and consumers. Welcome to Redox Grows, an in-depth look at key issues affecting agriculture and the people that make it happen. I'm Jim Morris with Redox Bionutrients here in Burley, Idaho. And before we speak with our interviewee, a thank you to those who listen and follow the program. Your interest is greatly appreciated. And a reminder to please like, share, and retweet this program to your friends and colleagues. I'm excited to be visiting with Dr. Gifford Gillette. He's in charge of research here at Redox. He has degrees from Idaho State University and the University of Idaho in Ecology and Botany, Biology, and Natural Resources. And he's published numerous scientific articles and regularly reviews papers for scientific journals. Gif, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jim. I'm excited to be here. We are at a unique time for biostimulants. So much knowledge is forthcoming here at Redox. I get more excited all the time when I hear Darren Moon talk about this. And the scientific community is making a lot of breakthroughs in this area, and there's real benefits coming for growers. So how excited are you about this area and why? 2024 for biologists is a banner year in agriculture, and that is what I consider myself is a biologist. And when I hear the term biostimulants, that's really what I'm thinking about is the biology in the soil, the biology in our products, and the relationship of that biology in our products to the biology in the soil and in the plant. And the biostimulants help in four key areas, root growth, soil health, efficient uptake of nutrients, and abiotic stress defense, so helping out with hot spells, cold, drought, things of that nature, so very exciting for the agricultural community. I want to ask you, Giff, about your passion for this work. I see you almost every day. This requires long hours, great attention to detail, and from my viewpoint, it may be a little tedious in spots, but how much value do you put in confirming our technology not only works, but it does so consistently? Yeah, without a doubt, the tedium of research is not for everyone. For our research team, there needs to be a fundamental excitement about data collection, obtaining the story, getting the truth, right? So as much as possible, I try to convey the why behind what we do to our team to overcome the some of that mundane aspect of, of and tedium of research. It's that anticipation and desire to learn from the next trial data set that permits us to overlook those repetitive tasks associated with uh, the research that we do. So I guess another way to put it, I would say research is mundane if you are not thinking about the theory or concepts behind it, but research is never mundane when 
you are, even if a given task is repetitive. So all you have to do is focus on the purpose of the trial and anticipate the outcome. And in the context of biology, that's usually the theory. So you're thinking about those things that, you know, get your blood boiling and get you excited uh, that ultimately leads to better research if you're excited about it and you're overcoming the challenging tasks of the day-to-day work. Last year was really busy, so let's start with the field research with more than 40 trials, corn, soybeans, wheat, strawberries, pecans, and what were some of the areas covered outside of what we have here at the research farm? Yeah, there was a lot of breadth and depth to our research in 2023. The breadth was across 14 redox products for just field trials alone that were associated with third-party organizations. We can think about the breadth and research in a number of ways. From the science side, sometimes we have one treatment in trials. Sometimes we might have as many as three. Uh, and and the treatment those were our most common you know numbers of inclusions of treatments in a given trial design. Uh, no, well, so what does that mean you know to someone who's not a, a geek <laughs> or a scientist, right? Well, what that means is when we had a trial that had multiple treatments, typically what that meant is we had several different inclusion rates of a product and that is really more focused on the ROI for a grower. I've it's really been a great experience to be at Redox and work with our agronomists because they are always so focused on what's best for the grower as opposed to let's just put the maximum on. Let's get the maximum sell and I never have to fight that battle with the agronomists that I've worked with so far, you know, cross my fingers, um, knock on wood, but um, that is one of those trial designs that we often look at again to see we want to get the most consistent results possible with the right inclusion rate with a given technology or product. And so the other ones in the case of when we only have one treatment in a trial, that's basically gone through that filtering process of what is the right rate. We're going to take the best opportunity to have success, not only from a scientific standpoint, but from an ROI standpoint for the grower and put our best foot forward in both of those arenas with one treatment that we feel like is the best based on the knowledge that we have up until that point. One of the areas I think is absolutely critical, nitrogen is obviously a very common input in agriculture. There are certainly cases where it's overused. How important is nitrogen efficiency and how dedicated are we to looking at this area? It's a huge one. Uh, our, every listener is going to know what our major inputs are, right? And nitrogen is one of those with a major, it's a major input that we have. And so it's uh, it's really important from that standpoint, just from a, a cost perspective uh, and a logistical perspective, but also from an environmental, we know that as well. And so I f- am incredibly um excited and grateful at the same time to be in a position where we're testing a patent pending technology that has biology behind it. More specifically, it's a botanical extract uh, known as RDXN that is allowing us to go at rates that, you know, in phosphate growers and and uh, crop advisors, agronomists are probably familiar with the ability to go at a half of a conventional rate with phosphate. But for nitrogen, that that's, that's, that's a really moving the needle and to be honest, when you look at the literature and they ask for a number about having a global impact across the board when it comes to climate change, the number is a 50% 
whether that's, and they specifically mention nitrogen, but it comes to other things too in terms of reductions. And so we're right there from a global perspective when it comes to that rate and um, to, for the reasons earlier for, ni- you know, the inputs that we have with nitrogen, we're in a great situation with RDXN in these trials to be looking at those a 50% reduction in those applications and expecting to maintain yield. And what we're really seeing a lot of the time is not only are we maintaining yield, but we are increasing quality of our crops too with most of these trials that we've conducted so far. The nitrogen efficiency work, I immediately think of corn. It's growing in our greenhouse right now. We have a lot of different trials going on with it. How applicable do you feel that research will be in helping Midwestern corn growers? That's a huge part of production in that region of the U.S. For the reasons that you mentioned, that was a focus in 2023 for our third-party external research that we set up with different, uh, I think, seven different organizations in the Midwest to evaluate more specifically in the context of uh, the discussion we had earlier about RDXN and nitrogen rates the, at the nitrogen rates that we talked about. That was a major area of emphasis. That will continue in 2024, that effort, and we're going to build upon that and learn from the different soil types that we had and the different growing conditions that we had, some under irrigation, some not. And uh, I'm sure we'll be building off of that for years to come, to be honest, not just in 2024 because of its importance. Another area I wanted to ask you about is water use efficiency. How much of a priority is that in some of the work that you're doing? Another huge input for in agriculture, and it is a major focus in 2024. It's a cost to the growers. It's important to a grower, and so it's important to our research team and the products that we have. We have a number of different uh, angles that we're approaching that in 2024 and a number of different crops that we are excited to quantify our abilities to look at water efficiency. Those two areas that we've been discussing growing bountiful crops while being very water efficient, also nitrogen efficiency. How well suited is redox technology in helping growers in those areas? I think that's a great question, especially when we talk about biostimulants and some of the conversations we're going to be having more in 2024 that we haven't in the past because the regulatory framework is there and we're going to see those on the label, right? We're going to see some of those different categories of biostimulants on our labels and some of these products, not just Redox, but across the industry, right? For 30 years, Redox has been using biostimulants and using biology, but there hasn't been that framework to talk about it in. And so uh, we are very well positioned, not just with uh, when you take seven to eight different categories of biostimulants, when you start to layer those different categories of biostimulants and you understand how that influences plant ecology and soil ecology and how plants and the soil and microbiota interact, uh, we've really been ahead of the game for a long time. And now we can start to talk about those things more. The technology, the positions, redox, to answer your question, very well in water efficiency, but especially nitrogen efficiency, because we're in our third year of third-party research now of evaluating the placement of technologies to satisfy those needs. When you look at the biostimulant language that's going to be coming up, it will be interesting to see how many of the 1,200 different companies in this category will be utilizing that. It'll be something that's fascinating to watch. So I've heard from farmers and agronomists that they often want to see this technology proven in their soil and their climate. So how important can a grower demonstration be in the whole process? 
it can be a key cog, right? We can do all the research that we possibly can, but there's always going to be an exception for a given grower, a given soil, a given so- uh, water source potentially. There's just so many different variables that can impact any plant gr- process uh, in the field. And so it provides a great opportunity in a grower demo sense to be able to get that technology out to someone. In some ways, it can be a little bit of a crutch because sometimes it can be just a one-time shot, whereas in our trial work, we're looking for numbers. uh, We are really looking to increase our sample size with a given treatment, and a lot of times you might just be splitting a field, and so you don't have that benefit of reps. But if we've done our job on the back end and we work well with our agronomists and they work well with their grower, then the probability for success goes way up, even on a one-time trial shot, split field sort of application in a grower demo to give them comfortability with rolling it out, especially when you're talking about everyone's in a different place in terms of efficiency and uh, as far as what they're comfortable with. And so a grower demo can be really important for, you know, shifting, uh, you know, maybe going from a 10% reduction in a given input to a 25 to a 50% where, where we know we're capable with, you know, a different third party settings. So it, it, I think it's a really important process. Interesting to see all these different factors in, you know, getting the greatest comfort level for growers. So the third parties, we have the outside of redox research that is terribly important with universities and others. And right here at our headquarters in Burley, I cannot believe how busy everybody was last year. 78 greenhouse trials. It's amazing all the different work and seeing Jamie, Quentin, Noah, Faith, Kenyon, Tori, hard at work. I really enjoy that. That's something I look forward to see every day. And let alone watching the progress of the crops. I was out here looking at the spinach, which is an unusual thing to be growing in Idaho in the winter. So how important is our on-site research? Yeah, we actually just got out of a meeting that we had over lunch, and I always try to convey how important the work that they do is with our growing boxes in the greenhouse, in the lab, entering data in Excel. They're so busy, they don't really get as many opportunities. We try to get them as many opportunities as possible in front of growers that's in an applied sense, but that work that they do is so fundamental to driving down in the details of an inclusion rate of a given technology and being flexible you know just for an example going into this weekend on Friday we had a priority on Monday of what was the most important thing to be done and then by one o'clock on Monday I said guys I got to apologize and gals that we've got a new priority and they are flexible in meeting the needs that we face to meet the needs of our growers and our crop advisors and, and the challenges that they face. So it's it'd be difficult to overstate how fundamental it is to everything that we do because everything builds off of that, whether it's third party or a grower demo like we just talked about. That's where we gain our confidence. Flexibility is one of the keys. Diligence is also very critical in the whole process. And you mentioned the grow-in boxes. How helpful are they? And I find it fascinating when you get to take a up-close look at the roots of the crop as well. So tell me more about the grow-in boxes. I think what most people are probably going to think of is in a garden sense where you'll have a raised garden bed. And that's a great way to think about it in terms of you have this elevated uh, box. The R's are typically 40 inches tall by 40 inches wide squares. And then within that, we have different partitions. And it requires a, a tremendous amount of soil that we put in those. And that is the standard one for outside uh, the dimensions that I described. In the greenhouse, we realized it was too much 
much soil and we and more than we needed for some crops for example like a corn plant grown to v6 to v8 we don't necessarily need uh, more than three feet of soil to deal with uh, to grow roots and so we've already learned a lot in 2023 about how to change those things but back to the partitioning is we partition those anywhere from splitting that box in half to as many as I believe seven by seven partitions that almost act as pots right so, uh, where you have 49 little cells within that grow box that allows us to do things that we can't do with a traditional I don't even know if a traditional setup is the right word is put it but a conventional way uh, we work in the greenhouse with and I, I guess basically that's limited by soil, right? So we're, we're kind of removing that aspect of being limited by soil by putting it in these large containers. And then we can remove those partitions and really get a look at root structure and and architecture and quantify more than just above ground biomass and below ground biomass when it comes to roots, right? Adding more than just, did we increase roots? Um, well, what about the roots did we change? And in, in in addition to just the increase in biomass, which is something we're typically always looking for, right, is an increase in biomass. But it allows us to get at some of those other questions, as well as grow plants longer because there's more soil space for those roots to occupy. And then um, we're, we're able to look at some things we've never been able to look at. And the root wash process is pretty amazing. And to see how long and how full they are is really, really cool to see. So we've talked about the grow-in boxes, we talked about the greenhouse, all the work that's being done here on our research farm, the third-party research as well, the grower trials that they're doing. At the end of the day, factoring all of that in and you have such a busy, busy schedule, how confident are you that this entire combination is best serving the growers and we're delivering on what we say? Well, we just got back from a recent grower meeting in Georgia and I feel like agriculture is in good hands and when we went over there it was apparent that agriculture was in great hands and we shared with them the research that we've been doing and they shared with us the things that they've been doing in their fields and the synergy was incredible it gave me great hope for the technology that we have um, I think there's more technology to come but if we can't market and we can't utilize the, the technology we currently have we can't continue to improve and get better and and I know we have a great segment of growers out there that are really pulling that and that helps us to be able to satisfy some of the challenges that we have in agriculture right now and I'm grateful that we have a situation at Redox that values science and puts the resources necessary to do it in a quality fashion because it does require as you've mentioned with the personnel that we have and then a greenhouse and all of the things and all these growing <laughs> we have like 40 uh, of these steel boxes that uh, have partitions in them that, that's an incredible amount of resource and dedication to get at those questions uh, that we all want answers to and so we're well positioned in 2024 to continue that work i'm excited and i know you're excited too thanks for your time gift thank you jim that will wrap up this episode you can find out much more about redox our research efforts product information both conventional and organic and so much more at redoxgrows.com. Also, you can email us at podcast at redoxgrows.com with story suggestions or any comments or questions. Thanks for listening.